Thank you for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the emergency medicine podcast recorded at Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing paediatric elbow injuries. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines mentioned are correct from Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the teaching fellows in emergency medicine. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at McDreamy. There we go again. Every time makes me laugh. Uh, hi, it's Colin here, one of the paediatric emergency medicine registrars. Not consultant. Absolutely. Um, still not on Twitter. Still not on Twitter. No Twitter handle. Okay. Um, and no Facebook, Bebo, or whatever else it is you kids are using nowadays. Now then, um, of course this is a podcast you can't actually see, but uh, Colin isn't in his scrubs today. He's come in in a shirt and chinos. He's uh, obviously not been in the ED environment. You've been in fracture clinic, is that right, Colin? I've been in fracture clinic this morning and all week, as it happens, trying to uh, make sure I'm keeping up to date with all the uh, latest changes and trends uh, within minor injuries in children. And uh, with that in mind, uh, this podcast we're going to be looking at uh, elbow injuries in children. Uh, and um, I suppose the best place to start, Colin, is with the normal, is with the anatomy of the of the elbow. So yeah, shall we so just talk a bit about that first? So I think elbow injuries in children often cause a lot of confusion, given the fact that there's lots of ossification centres which appear at different ages and times. Um, first thing I think anatomy-wise is just to think about the fact that it's it's actually three joints. So you've got the radiohumeral articulation between the radial head and the capitellum. Then you've got the uh, ulnohumeral articulation, uh, which involves the electron and the, the trochlea. And then you've got the radial ulna articulation. Uh, and all three of, of those joints must be aligned in place uh, and working in order to have a pain-free movement of the elbow. Uh, from there, I guess you look at the, uh, the ligamental stability of it. And there's two main bundles or complexes within the uh, elbow so you've got an anterior bundle giving you medial stability and then you've got a lateral ulna collateral series of ligaments uh, which give you lateral stability um, if you want to know more about this uh, you can google ligaments of the elbow and you can go through all the various individual ligaments but they're the two main bundles uh, which provide medial and lateral stability within the elbow um, the other thing that's sometimes useful to know about is actually what muscles are actually inserting around the elbow joint. This is useful in terms of knowing uh, what movements are going to be painful so you can localise it to what part of the elbow might have been injured. Uh, firstly, if you look at the lateral epicondyle, this is where the extensors of the wrists and fingers insert. So painful extension of the wrist or fingers points you towards the problem with the lateral aspect of the elbow, the lateral epicondyle. Medially, on the medial epicondyle, is where the forearm flexors and the pronators insert. And then the olecranon, if that's injured, it's normally extension of the elbow that's painful. In children, though, you've got to remember um, that there are no hard and fast rules. Children will often just point to anywhere where there's pain uh, and not be able to localise it very specifically. But by using those movements, you might be able to, to give yourself a bit more help and a bit better of an idea. Okay. Um, so it's also important to remember that the, there aren't just bones and ligaments going on there. Correct, there are yeah. other bits and bobs. I do remember enough of anatomy that there are other things going on, um, in particular um, nerves and uh, blood vessels. Yeah, so I think the elbow is one of those areas where there, there are a lot of nerves uh, and uh, arteries coming down and through the elbow joint. And so they are at risk of neurovascular injury when they hurt their elbow. Uh, 
the main artery is obviously the brachial artery, which runs uh, around uh, uh, the back of the the mid shaft of the humerus. Then becomes antero medially. It passes through the elbow joint. So all of us will know that from the fact that when we take a brachial pulse, we know where it is. Just after the elbow joint, uh, it splits into the radial and ulnar arteries. Um, and so if you have any injuries to the proximal radius or ulna, either one of those uh, arteries could be damaged. Uh, from the point of view of nerves, uh, there's obviously uh, the median nerve running anteriorly uh, through the elbow and then the radial nerve running over the lateral aspects down the radial head and neck and then the ulnar nerve running posterior to the medial epicondyle and that's the what we'd call your funny bone as it runs behind the medial epicondyle and then down into the forearm. All three of those are at risk and it depends on the type of fracture which we'll come to later as to which ones are normally affected. So sort of brings into mind the importance as well as the, the movement and um, I mean that's true for adults as well as for peers it's not just the site of pain not just the movement and also to document the neurovascular status Correct. of the uh, of the distal uh, limb you know wherever you're looking at in this case obviously we're looking at the forearm and that and the hand you'd be worried about there um, okay so um, we've got a child we've um, they're complaining of pain we're doing an x-ray you know probably not been around in peds for a little bit looking at the going there's some funny spots on there and your yeah. consultant goes well those are the ossification centers and you go okay i kind of remember that from peds and i yep. think there is a mnemonic to do with that yeah uh only works if you're american though but um. well so yes yeah, so, <laughs> so c-r-i-t-o-e uh is the mnemonic that's most commonly used um so it stands for capitellum radial head internal epicondyle, trochlea, olecranon, and then external epicondyle. So obviously the use of internal epicondyle and external epicondyle uh, aren't what we would normally use. We'd normally refer to them as medial and lateral. Um, but as long as you know that the internal epicondyle is the medial epicondyle and the external epicondyle is the lateral epicondyle, then you're about there. So in Britain, we'd probably use something like crimtol. Yeah, so you could use crimtol. Um, doesn't quite have the same ring as crito, though. So no. it's usually easier to use that one. And the key thing about this is the mnemonic is the order in which the ossification centres appear. And so the capitellum appears first, around the age of one to two years. And then the radial head appears next, around the age of three. The internal or medial epicondyle then appears around the age of five years. The trochlea follows that at around seven years. The olecranon then appears at around nine years of age. And then finally, the external epicondyle or the lateral epicondyle appears at around 11 years of age. Now, those numbers are slightly rough. There's some variation from age to age. And so um, there is. they might appear maybe slightly six months to a year earlier or six months later than that. Depending, depending on the individual child, but they give you a rough age. Mm. So um, I suppose that's useful then, because you're looking at the x-ray and, um, you know, as we were talking about before the podcast came on, if you're yeah. seeing a little bit of bone floating near the, uh, the la what we would call the lateral epicondyle in somebody, you know, in a child who's age seven, yeah. you might think, 
uh, hang on, that could be something dodgy. Yeah. But if they're age, say, 11, you could go, hang on, that's just the ossification centre rather exactly. than an avulsion fracture. So it is very useful. Exactly. So it's worth knowing about and learning. And I think the only way to do that is to have a look. And again, if you Google crito elbow uh, and children, I'm sure if you look at the images, uh, there's nice images of what the x-ray looks like and what the ossification centre should look like in a normal elbow joint. And we'll be sure to put something up on um, on both Facebook and Twitter on the Take Orally pages as well for those Fantastic. of you uh, listening along. Okay. Um, okay, so there's a little bit of theory, but of course, with yeah. emergency medicine, it's a lot of practice, practical stuff. So um, you work as a registrar, very nearly a consultant, you know, your junior's taken a history from a child of you know, whatever age, um, who you know has come in with a with an elbow injury what are the key bits that you want to that junior to have got lovely so i think in terms of the history it's, <coughs> it's ascertaining the exact mechanism of how it happened and the three most commons are what we call a, a foosh so a fall onto outstretched hand direct trauma to the elbow or a more repetitive injury you know someone who's incredibly sporty who's doing the same thing again and again and sometimes get pain in their elbow and they're the main three things and it's having an idea of exactly how they've landed or how they fall or how they've injured it which gives you clues to what part of the elbow is going to be injured and then that leads you on to how you're going to examine uh, and look for and I guess we all know how we examine joints you know we always look feel and move and so we look at that joint for signs of swelling bruising um, how the patient's holding it uh, and then we feel the joint looking for the exact areas of tenderness any anything that feels soft, loose. Look at the patient's range of movement. And a good point here is, I think, is that um, a child with a full range of movement at the elbow is incredibly unlikely to have an, a bony injury to their elbow. So if they've got a full range of movement, it probably doesn't need an x-ray, and they can probably discharge home with some good safety netting advice. So that's looking at pronation, supination, flexion, extension. Correct, yeah. Movements in all planes of the elbow. So full range of movement equals no bony injury. Okay. Is it difficult examining an elbow in younger children in your experience? Yeah, it, it can be very difficult. It's obviously painful. It normally happened fairly recently, so they've still got that recency effect in their mind that, of what's happened and they're shocked and in pain. So I think this is where having a good triage system normally means that hopefully they've been given painkillers mm. uh, by the nursing staff before they've been seen in most children's emergency departments which can help um, because obviously some painkillers can help to relax the child, can take some of that pain away mm. and then you can actually have more time. And this is where experience comes in. So, you know, having experience and practicing, examining joints in children and starting maybe away from the joint that hurts. So maybe starting at the joint above and the joint below, which we know will need examining, uh, can help build confidence with the child before you move on to the part that's painful. And just in physical examination, I think it's worth mentioning, make sure, as we mentioned earlier, that you look for neurovascular injuries uh, distal to uh, the elbow. Mm. So you're into your sensation of the hand, aren't you? Sensation of the hand, so looking for the major ones, uh, those median, ulna and collateral nerves, and movements, making sure they can fully extend uh, all of their fingers, flex their fingers, give you the thumbs up, make an OK sign. Um, Many places have, uh, especially Stockman, certainly here at Queen's, the orthopaedic surgeons, when they see someone with elbow injuries, 
uh, will document each of the movements required for the nerves. Um, if you haven't seen one of them, if you come down to the emergency department, I'm sure we can get one out so you can have a little look at that. Okay. So I suppose if, if you're happy then that you know, the child's had a bit of you know, cowpole or whatever, feeling a lot better, they've watched a cartoon in the waiting yep. area and now they're playing and it's a lot happier and they've actually got the full range of movement, you'd be saying to the parents or guardian, probably a sprain, you yep. know, cowpole analogy, just keep an eye. If not better, come back to us. So good safe knitting. But if you've not got that, yep. you've not got full range of movement, the child's still upset, you're going into x-ray territory then, yeah. aren't you? And so what, what's our approach then when we're going forward with an x-ray? So I think uh, with an x-ray, um, it's obviously the investigation of choice. If you suspect a bony injury to the elbow, um, normally only an AP and lateral is sufficient. And I think for the, for the emergency department team, this is all we'd really organise. Occasionally the orthopaedic uh, team might ask for oblique views if they're looking for a specific injury. But I think that's fairly specialist and not something we really need to go into too much detail here. Um, and the key things are, um, which our radiographers here at Queen's are excellent at doing is making sure you get a true lateral um, and so that is elbow at 90 degrees um, rested down on a table uh, and then um, image taken at 90 degrees to that elbow uh, to get you a good view and whilst you can't appreciate this on a podcast the key thing that you need from the lateral is to ensure that it's a lateral is a, is a figure of eight sign Okay, so this is when you look through the elbow joint uh, and around the capitellum you have one circle and in above that but in the, in the distal humerus you have a second circle which is probably more oval in shape but it forms a figure of eight. Again, if you Google this or maybe we can stick something mm. up uh, to show what a, a figure of eight sign looks like on a lateral x-ray. And it's normally the lateral that's the most helpful but that doesn't mean you should forget about the AP film. So the AP film useful to look at the epicondyles, uh, to have a look at the carrying angle to see if that's been changed, which just gives you an idea about articulation, articulations of the radiohumeral and ulnohumeral joints. Um, and it also allows you to have a look at something called, I think it's Bowman's angle, and that's how I pronounce it, but I might be wrong and people can correct me. Might so be Bowman's angle. It might be Bowman's angle. So that is when you draw a line down... Um, the centre of the humerus, uh, <coughs> and then you draw a line through um, the growth plate of the capitellum, and where those two lines intersect, you create an angle, which is normally 70 to 75 degrees, and any increase beyond that in that angle um, makes it look like the growth plate from the capitellum has perhaps been, been moved away, uh, and that would uh, significance the chance that you might have a, an injury through there. Uh, and then coming on to the lateral, as I said, uh, is the most uh, useful. So we look for that figure of eight. And then after that, we move on to looking for fat pads. Okay. Yeah. So anterior fat pad. So you do have an anterior fat pad, but it's normally um, very small. In terms of the fat pad, what we mean by that is just next to the distal humerus, um, there's uh, a synovium that joins onto it there and a little bit of fatty tissue that sits there. So it gives you an area that of that's slightly darker on the x-ray than the rest of it. Um, and that sits on the anterior side of the, of the humerus. But if that's raised and moved away from the humerus, so you've got what we call a sail sign, which is uh, an area of uh, a darkened area which looks like the sail of a boat coming out from the humerus, then that's a sign that there's, there's a bony injury, even if there's no movement of the bones themselves. A posterior fat pad, however, 
always pathological. Mm. Always pathological. So if you see dark area on the posterior aspect of the distal humerus in someone who's hurt their elbow, um, then that is a sign that they've got a bony injury. And those pa patients, if they've got no other obvious problems with articulation or movement of the bones, normally be put into a broad arm sling. And that's certainly our management here at Queen's. Uh, and referred on to Fracture Clinic for follow-up. And you can get both at the same time. You can have Correct. an anterior yep. so and posterior. An anterior and posterior fat pad. So this is a sign um, that you've, you've cracked a bone. There's some bleeding uh, into these fat pads. The synovium has been raised up off of the bone, and you can see that as a raised fat pad. Okay. Um, yeah. so, then, so now we've looked at making sure we've got a true lateral. We've looked at the fat pads. Uh, and we'll move on and look at the anterior humeral line. Okay, so this is step four in the um, in the elbow X-ray review. Okay, so this is a line drawn down the anterior surface of the humerus on the lateral view, and it should normally intersect with the middle third of the capitellum. Okay, if it doesn't, so either it's um, intersecting the anterior third of the capitellum or it's not intersecting through the capitellum at all, then that means the capitellum's been displaced posteriorly and there is a bony injury there. Okay? Most commonly a supracondyle, supracondylar fracture. Okay? Obviously, if it goes through the posterior third of the capitellum, uh, then the capitellum may have been displaced anteriorly. But again, that's rarer, um, but can occur and is a sign that there's a bony injury. If however you do that, and that's fine, you can move on to step five, the radio capitella line. This is where you draw a line through the neck of the radius, and it should intersect the centre of the capitellum. So this is about looking to make sure that the radial head is articulating appropriately uh, with the um, capitellum. So if, the, if it doesn't, then it's a sign that the radial head has been dislocated, displaced, uh, and normally uh, this dislocation will be anterior and again want to speak to your orthopedic team about this as this would likely need intervention by them would that be a uh, substantial trauma then um so it would be usually it'd be a reasonable a reasonable traumatic injury uh, and a direct trauma but can occur from a foosh as well uh, depending on exactly how the elbow is when it lands on the on the ground and then the next step is actually to look at the cortical surfaces of the radial head, the distal humerus, and the ulna, including the olecranon. And here you are just looking for disruption of the cortical surfaces. So we're looking to see that there's disruption of those nice smooth surfaces, no longer looking smooth, looking slightly angulated or rough, would again indicate uh, some damage to either uh, the radial head, distal humerus, or the ulna, including the olecranon. So just to cover that, so we've gone through eight steps to uh, the elbow x-ray in children. So the first step is making sure you have a true lateral. Second step, anterior fat pads. Third step, posterior fat pads. Fourth step, the anterior humeral line. Step five, the radiocapitella line. And steps six, seven, and eight are looking at the radial head, the distal humerus, and the olecranon, and the ulna to look for cortical surface disruption. And he did that all off his memory. <laughs> well done, Colin. Um, okay, so we've we've got our uh, approach to the X-ray. 
so shall we talk now a bit about some specific types of fracture that we'll see yeah. in the elbow? So types of fractures, let's start with common things. And the most common is a supracondylar fracture, supracondylar fractures of the elbow. So they account for about 50% of elbow fractures in children and actually about a third of all paediatric limb fractures. Usually occurs between the ages of three years and 10 years. Most common, sorry, uncommon after 15 years of age. So three years to 10 years is where you see this. And just from that, the common story for that uh, is a fall on an outstretched hand, normally a fall from say a monkey bars or some kind of uh, apparatus in a playground where they've got reasonable distance to fall, okay? And when they fall on the outstretched hand, they get extension of the elbow uh, beyond what's normal and that causes uh, a crack through the uh, supracondylar region of the distal humerus. Uh, occasionally, you can get a flexion, uh, flexion supracondylar fracture. This probably accounts for 5% or less of supracondylar fractures, and that's a direct trauma to a flexed elbow. So the elbow's flexed up, and something hits it on the posterior aspect, uh, and uh, then you get a flexion. And what we mean by that is the capitellum there has been forced uh, forward, and there's hyperflexion there which leads to a crack uh, around the supracondylar region. So concentrating on the common ones, the extension type, uh, they're classified using Gartland's classifications. This is just a way of being able to talk to your orthopaedics colleagues so they've got a rough idea of what's going on. So type 1 is generally non-displaced. You might be able to see a slight crack in the anterior cortex of the distal humerus or you might only see a fat pad on x-ray and that's why fat pads are so important uh, to look out for. Type 2 um, you have uh, a crack through the uh, anterior cortex. There's some angulation and displacement. So this is the one where when you look at your anterior humeral line, uh, the capitellum has been displaced posteriorly, so the capitellum often won't pass through uh, the anterior humeral line anymore. Um, and again here, though, the posterior cortex of the humerus is still intact. And then type 3, you have complete displacement of the distal fragment, so you've got disruption of the anterior and posterior cortex, um, and the, there could be a reasonable degree of displacement here of that distal fragment. Capitellum can, can look like it's um, not articulating uh, at all. And with these ones, it's, uh, they, they all need definitive intervention. So type 3s all need um, uh, to be referred to the orthopaedic surgeons uh, and will need an intervention normally under a general anaesthetic. Type 2s can be variable, some can be managed with a collar and cuff, still probably worth discussing it with the orthos, um, but some again will might need uh, more aggressive treatment and may need uh, a manipulation under general anaesthetic. Um, and following on from that, as I mentioned, flexion supracondylar is very rare, uh, but usually a direct impact on the elbow uh, when it's in flexion. I think it's worth mentioning with supracondylars that about just over 10% uh, have a, a neurovascular injury associated with them. So it's really important that it's clearly documented um, that the neurological status of the median ulna and radial nerves have all been checked and are intact. Okay. The good news is that most of these neurovascular injuries are normally a neuropraxia. Uh, and so normally they resolve over the few months 
Uh, and given that the vast majority of supracondylars are extensor in nature, so an extension supracondylar fracture, it's normally the median nerve uh, that's involved. Okay, so now we'll move on to lateral condyle fractures, Colin. Yeah, so second most common fractures in children's, um, only about 15% of paediatric elbow fractures. Again, similar age range to that of supracondylars, so four to ten years. The difference with these is that they are all considered to be intra-articular. Okay? And so because of that, they should all be discussed with the orthopaedic surgeons because there's a concern with these that they can be unstable. Okay? Normally happens when you fall on a supinated arm. Okay? And so you get an avulsion fracture uh, from the extensor muscle group at the elbow. But can occur if you um, fall on your palm with a flexed elbow. Again, the key thing here when you look at this is often you've got disruption of the radio capitella line uh, and sometimes you can have a fragment of bone um, which uh, from the metaphyseal component, so from the proximal area which is posteriorly displaced and that's worth looking out for on x-ray on the lateral. Again, as I say, these are classified but I don't think the classification is too important to go through. I think it's worth saying if you've got a concern about a lateral condyle fracture, call your friendly orthopaedic surgeon to have a look. And these patients usually get reviewed in the department then? You often get reviewed in the department if it's a concern about a lateral condyle fracture. Um, and the concern here is that these can take a long time to heal. And if, but if there's significant displacement, then they will often uh, need a general anaesthetic and orthopaedic surgeons to do something about it. Uh, good news is uh, neurovascular complications are rare with these injuries. Okay, so we've looked at the lateral. Shall we go to the medial? Makes sense. Uh, so again, this normally occurs in older children, actually. Uh, so 10 to 14 years. Um, often males. Don't really know why. I'm sure the orthopaedic team might be able to tell me why. Um, and the key thing here is looking out for associated injuries, okay? So you've got the medial epicondyle, and it's associated with an dislocation in about half of half of all fractures uh, normally um, you get valgal stress onto the elbow joint and the forearm flexures then avulls the condyle off of the medial aspect um, and then you what you need to do when you look at that is just have a look at the um, articulation of the ulnar humeral joint make sure that the olecranon and the distal ulna looks like it's articulating nicely um, Again, you can get different degrees of displacement and occasionally you can get a trapped fragment uh, within the joint and it's that that can cause problems because obviously if that's there, it needs to be removed. Uh, and so depending on this, again, it's worth referring all of these uh, to the orthopaedic surgeons, um, especially as about 15% of them will have an ulnar nerve injury. So mm -hmm. again, make sure that you have documented that you have tested it. Um, Often a couple of weeks in a splint if there's minimal displacement uh, and then early movement. But if there's significant displacement, uh, the surgeons will take them to theatre. Um, I suppose it's a slight digression, Colin. I mean, if you've got a, a toddler, is it how easy is it to assess medial nerve, ulnar nerve function? It can Incredibly be so, it, difficult. It can be challenging in elderly patients with dementia. Yep. You know, we all know the ulnar tech, you know, hold them to a piece of paper yep. between your fifth and fourth finger. Yep. 
how do you go about that with with a toddler? So it's a real challenge, and it, and part of it is you are unlikely to get them to do something that they don't want to do. So sometimes just watching them and encouraging them and getting their parents to play with them, so you can actually see them move their fingers. Um, and in terms of you know obviously getting them to grip onto a piece of paper is reasonably difficult to do, but putting something between their fingers and seeing they can hold it there if it's fairly thin um, can be done with a bit of persuasion with the children, uh, and then thinking about outside the box about how you how you might try and get them to do it analgesia is key here you're not going to get a child to move any part of their arm if they if they think it's painful so ensuring that you've got them well analgesed and then and then watching them carefully obviously if they will follow your instructions great but if they won't then uh, you can only document what you can see uh, and obviously if the child isn't willing to move their fingers at all uh, then you can only suspect that and pass that sus suspicion on to the orthopaedic surgeon so back onto our fractures then shall we have a look at the the radius yeah so again we're getting on to the less common fractures but ones that we do see now um it's normally the radial neck that's the weakest point rather than the radial head that gets fractured um and it can be quite difficult to see so these are ones where you have to be looking for and that's why it's a step uh, on the review of the elbow x-ray because you have to look at the radial neck and the radial head. Again, it's normally a fall on outstretched hand that causes it uh, and you just have to look carefully if you see this. So what you're looking for is does the radial head articulate uh, with the capitellum as it should, so the radio capitella line, and then is the neck of the radius um, moving directly from the shaft of the radius into the radial head or does it look like it's angulated? This is one where you have to have seen lots of normal x-rays and appreciate what looks normal to appreciate what looks abnormal. And if you see this, you need to carefully look for other injuries. Okay, so there are associated fractures in about 50% of these radial heads. And so you have to look at the, at the rest of the joint and make sure you follow the rules that we went through earlier because that's what helps you not miss anything. Again, uh, it's worth speaking to the orthopaedic surgeons about most of these because if there's a reasonable degree of angulation of the radial head or the radial neck, these will often need to be um, put back into place. Um, and um, around about just under a fifth can get some avascular necrosis of the radial head. Um, and the long-term problems with these is that you get a loss of uh, rotational movement uh, and then, so that's probably it for radial head. So, but just be aware that if there's any angulation, that you need to speak to the orthopaedic team. And avascular necrosis and loss of rotational movement are the are the problems uh, going forward. Okay. So moving on now to the olecranon. Yeah. So I think this is probably uh, the end of where we come from fractures in terms of. Um, there's about 1 in 20 elbow injuries will be an electrocom. So 1 in 20 fractures of the elbow in children will be electronom fractures. So around about 5%. It becomes more common as children get older. And again, these are often associated with other injuries, so it's worth looking out for them. Often it's a direct blow on the elbow, which might explain why it's older children doing things that are more likely um, to um, have a direct blow. So cricket balls, um, Occasionally a baseball bat or a cricket bat, depending on what they like to get up to. Um, you can also get a shearing force that can occur or indirect forceful contraction of the tri 
triceps on a flexed elbow when you fall over can occasionally cause it. As I say, a lot of these um, electron fractures, they are rare, but it's just worth looking out for. Mm. It's worth also knowing that there is a, um, a growth plate that comes with age on the electron, as we talked about earlier. So you just need to be aware that just because there's a fragment of bone there doesn't necessarily always make it a fracture. Consider where the patient's tender, where the swelling is, and uh, the mechanism of injury. Okay. So for all of these, um, they're extra articular, which is good, um, but management depends on the degree of displacement of the distal fragment. Uh, and so if there's more than three millimeters of displacement, they will often need uh, to be reduced. Um, and it's a closed reduction normally. Um, but with these ones, you just need to watch out for the ulnar nerve, make sure that's working. Um, and um, because of the time with a, when it's immobilized, uh, when it's immobilized in treatment, extensor strength uh, can be lost quite a bit until mm. it's healed. So that needs to be built back up, and normally good physio will do that. So we'll uh, put um, all pictures of examples of these up on both um, Facebook and Twitter, so you can find Take Orally on Facebook and on Twitter at, at Take Orally, uh, just so you to uh, have a look at it while you're listening along to this. Um, yeah, anything else you want to say at yeah. this point? No, Carl? I just think this is the elbow in children uh, is something that causes concern and worries. So I think having a stepwise approach to it is important and to looking at the x-ray. So we've got that eight-step approach. Think about the mechanism. Be vigilant. Always look for associated injuries. So other bony injuries, but as well as that neurovascular injuries. And if you're unsure, consult the friendly guideline that we use here at Queen's for all minor injuries in children, which is available on the internet or ask for help at so near an ED senior and if you're still not sure then you can always speak to the orthopaedic team excellent thank you once again for joining us Colin it's an absolute pleasure Jamie smart clinic clothing well I had to make an effort for you <laughs> finally somebody has <laughs> thank you everybody thanks for listening bye bye that was the Take Orally Paediatric Elbows Injury Podcast you can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we'll put up links to guidelines mentioned and you can contact us to suggest topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. For more information on education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.